This is Paulette Spencer for Heart of Mind Earth at Midnight on Pacifica Radio Network, WBAI in New York. Um, today is Wednesday, November 9th, 2016, the day after Donald Trump was declared president-elect as the next president of the United States of America, Republican defeating Hillary Rodham Clinton. And we are here this evening to discuss some of the implications of this phenomenon, and we are pleased to have with us Mr. David Swanson, who is an author, activist, journalist, and radio host. He is director of worldbeyondwar.org and campaign coordinator for rootsaction.org. Swanson's books include War is a Lie, published in 2010, When the World Outlawed War, published in 2011, and The Military-Industrial Complex at 50, published in 2012. He is the host of Talk Nation Radio, and he also works on the Communications Committee of Veterans for Peace, of which he is an associate non-veteran member, and Swanson is also Secretary of Peace in the Green Shadow Cabinet. Welcome, Mr. Swanson. Uh, good to be here. Thanks. I guess many people are in sort of shock or perhaps a sense of numbness over the results overnight of the win of Donald Trump over Hillary Rodham Clinton. Just to cover this, what, what, what do you think just happened? Well, I've been despairing the horrendous state of the U.S. government for years now. You know, this didn't start for me this morning. Uh, and I think it's something you survive. It's something you learn to live with and you learn to resist and to work to change and to work to transform. But the United States last week was a militarily mad nation, uh, devastating the climate and the other uh, natural environment of the planet uh, and in pushing war and weaponry on the globe in a disastrous manner, uh, and today it still is. Uh, and it would have been whichever uh, was elected. Uh, and we were guaranteed uh, in this election uh, to elect someone even worse than our current president. So we were guaranteed to elect, uh, you know, a disastrous individual to the White House. Um, but, you know, if it's, if it's any consolation to people, elections are not what matter. They are not what changed the world. They are, we have not voted serious social progress into being, ever. It's a small component uh, of the work of nonviolent activism, building momentum for change. Uh, and that goes on, and it goes on much better starting today with the election obsession behind us. Uh, and if it's any consolation, you know, Donald Trump got fewer votes than, than McCain or Romney got. Uh, of course, Hillary Clinton also got fewer votes than McCain or Romney got. Most people stayed home. Nobody liked these people. Uh, and the Democratic Party had a winning candidate in Bernie Sanders and cheated him out of a possible nomination. Uh, so, you know, all the stuff that everybody tells each other about the demographic shift and young people being smarter and so forth is all true. You just can't put your hopes in a broken electoral system with an unpopular candidate. Um, and, and yes, we elected a racist, sexist buffoon, but uh, uh, you know, working people, lower-income white voters in places like Pennsylvania voted for Barack Obama. 
and now they voted for Donald Trump. So there's more than just racism uh, here. You know, that's one ugly part of it, but that's not the whole story. What is part of the rest of the story? Well, resentment of a corrupt establishment uh, that's been impoverishing people and the earth, uh, as well as devastating nations abroad for years now. Uh, I mean, if, if that were not the case, you wouldn't have the existence of these, you know, burners for Trump groups, these people who were for both Bernie Sanders and Donald Trump, which makes absolutely no sense apart from corporate trade and possibly certain aspects of militarism makes no sense at all. They're exact opposites on every important policy, but they were both seen as somehow newcomers against the system, as Barack Obama was uh, seen, perhaps uh, somewhat unfairly, as an outsider against the system, although he was a senator for years. Uh, you know, th this is what people wanted. They wanted opposition to a completely corrupt establishment. And when Donald Trump put out advertisements to that effect, and, and everybody just screamed anti-Semitism. It was a little bit of a cop-out. Maybe it was anti-Semitic, but it was absolutely correct in its critique of the, the establishment. The response ought to have been, yes, that's correct, but Donald Trump will not fix any of those problems. That ought to have been the serious response, rather than that's anti-Semitic, or he's an agent of Vladimir Putin, or any of this sort of nonsense that just made the Democrats look stupid uh, and dishonest, rather than serious and caring. One thing that struck me in the lead-up to these elections was the WikiLeaks release of the emails from Hillary Rodham Clinton um, when she was Secretary of State, and as well as some of the materials that came out where she released the transcripts of her speeches that she had hidden up to now, speeches um, before bankers and representatives of financial institutions where they discuss financing of war. And I wanted to ask your opinion on some of the findings from those speeches and, and really discuss what the roles of these financial institutions are in the perpetuation of war. Yeah, it, it is remarkable that, uh, you know, the demand for the videos or transcripts of these meetings with Goldman Sachs bankers uh, that Hillary Clinton was paid so handsomely for actually made news. But then when we actually got some of the transcripts, uh, it was just a yawn from the corporate media. There was no desire to look at what was there, although what was there was actually quite interesting. Uh, it, it was, you know, a different face of Hillary Clinton. Uh, you know, who knows if there even is an authentic one. This was, this was her Democratic pitch to a bunch of Republican bankers' face, but it was also her you know, whispering behind the scenes, uh, you know, uh, in a uh, not-for-public uh, manner with banker friends and, and corporate allies. And here she is talking uh, primarily about where to wage wars and what wars to wage and how to dominate the globe for a bunch of bankers, uh, which is not how the, the U.S. democratic system is usually depicted to the public. And she's blurting out things like that her no-fly zone on Syria uh, would be, uh, you know, a mass murderous act far worse than Libya, would require, as she says, killing lots of Syrians. Uh, and she actually condemns people who are out there glibly talking about such a thing. 
whereas she was at the time and is today the leading person out there glibly talking about such a thing. Uh, you know, which is why there's a huge chunk of the world out there, outside the United States, in that other 96% of humanity, that does see the U.S. as having elected the racist, sexist buffoon over the candidate of the Enlightenment. But there's another huge chunk that sees us as just having held off World War III because uh, Hillary was intent on bombing Syria and said Barack Obama was wrong not to bomb the hell out of Syria three years ago. Uh, and even the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff in Washington is saying this would have guaranteed a war with Russia. I mean, this is why people, Russians are celebrating, you know, because there's we don't know what Trump will bring, but at least this is not the, the president of shipping weapons into Ukraine and start and trying to start up World War three uh, this is you know we've elected a guy who actually blurted out the obvious common sense that NATO has outlasted its its purpose uh, although he immediately backtracked under the slightest pressure on that uh, rather than Hillary Clinton uh, who told Goldman Sachs that she was proud of having told the Japanese the United States had a right to the entire Pacific and had discovered Japan uh, and had purchased Hawaii, uh, and, you know, that whole ocean was ours. You know, th this is not how she talks in public. Uh, this is how she talks to bankers, uh, and that ought to have been news. And in terms of the, the actual influence and enduring influence of these bankers and financial institutions, what role do they play in shaping the militaristic landscape on a global level? Well, we also know from leaked emails in recent weeks uh, that uh, it was top Wall Street bankers who picked the nominees for Barack Obama's cabinet, uh, or most of them. Uh, and uh, we know uh, that both Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump have lined up the same crowd of corporate lobbyists uh, allied with Wall Street interests to shape their cabinets. Uh, you know, with someone like Donald Trump, with his you know limited literacy and and limited intellectual ability and attention span, uh, this may matter even more. Uh, who ends up being the uh, the voices around him, uh, the the other powers in the room. Uh, and uh, these are shaped routinely uh, in both the Democratic and the Republican parties uh, by Wall Street interests, by military interests, by the, the overlapping uh, cartel of, of these powers that control our, our financial systems, our information systems, and our major industry as, as weapons dealer to the world. Uh, and, you know, the, the corruption was rather unique in Hillary Clinton's case with the Clinton Foundation, but uh, it's, it's normal now. Uh, and, the, you know, the big appeal from Donald Trump early on was his pretense that he was outside the broken system, that he wouldn't have to take any bribes because he could fund his own campaign. And then he backtracked on that and started taking all the legal bribes that are part of the U.S. political system. Uh, you know, again, there's something he's acknowledged, that the system is broken. Will we be able to push him uh, in the direction of fixing it? That remains to be seen. And just taking it a bit further um, with um, some of what came out in those emails, we know that she admitted that certain governments in the Middle East were directly involved in the 
funding of these militaristic groups there, ISIS, ISIL, and that a lot of the work was done through a sort of pay-for-play arrangement with the Clinton Foundation. Given what she's just revealed, how does that bode, for instance, for a, a Trump win? What do you think will come of such funding, or how will the Trump administration play into or have a role in continuing that funding? What is your view on that? Yeah, we, we know from those emails that Hillary Clinton knew that Saudi Arabia and Qatar were funding ISIS and, and supplying ISIS. We also know that she knew that the United States was supplying so-called moderate uh, fighters who were actually aligned uh, with al-Qaeda and the so-called extremist fighters. Um, we, we know that uh, Saudi Arabia and a half dozen other nations in that region put millions of dollars into the Clinton Foundation, at least $10 million from Saudi Arabia. Arabia, uh, and then you know another nine hundred thousand from Boeing, and she made it her mission, as we're told, to to get those airplanes sold to Saudi Arabia that are now blowing up men, women, and children in Yemen. I mean, this was a unique sort of form of corruption, and we don't know exactly what corrupting influences there will be on Donald Trump, but we know he's surrounding himself with hyper-militarized advisors, and we know that even as he said that NATO may be obsolete and that this new Cold War with Russia is a bad idea and so forth, he's also said... I want an even bigger, even more expensive military. I I want to bomb the hell out of them. I want to start killing their families, as if that weren't U.S. policy for the past couple centuries. Uh, And and so it it remains to be seen what sort of movement arises. You know, will there be a moment now, like in 2002, 2003, when everybody who identifies as a Democrat joins the peace movement? for a while here. Uh, will we have a bigger peace movement even than we had in 2003, 2004? Uh, and will that, will that have any influence? Will it be a movement built across the political spectrum and, uh, and able to operate strategically and courageously to have any influence uh, on this Congress and this president? It remains to be seen uh we you know we don't know no reporter in the whole you know almost two years of this campaign asked either candidate what they wanted to spend on the military even though it's over half of federal discretionary spending uh so we don't know in detail you know the one thing we know uh about syria and that crisis is that russia for years has been open to a non-violent settlement that would even have included Bashar al-Assad stepping down, which is the big goal of the U.S. government. Uh, and we know that Donald Trump is willing to talk with Russia. Uh, you know, that is potentially an, an encouraging change, uh, a positive change. Uh, you know, we may, have, we may have just held off World War III by electing a racist, sexist buffoon, and we have every good Democrat, you know, running around denouncing any non-hostile action toward Russia. It's a very, very strange situation to be in. And I just wanted to go back to something you mentioned. You mentioned Donald Trump's advisors. Who are they? Oh, I had a list in front of me earlier this morning, but they are, you know, the, the... the the sort of most encouraging is is uh, Michael Flynn, I believe his name is, who you know 
left the Obama administration and began denouncing, uh, you know, the drone wars as counterproductive. Uh, and yet he's quite a militarist uh, and allied with neocon right-wing militarist schemers like Michael Ledeen uh, and others. Uh, and they're going to be in a room here with, uh, you know, uh, just a catalog of, you know, the most right-wing extremist former Congress members and senators from Newt Gingrich to Jeff Sessions and and on and on, uh, shaping the Trump policy. Uh, and, and it's going to be very interesting for Democrats to, you know, large D Democrats to suddenly discover that, you know, as some of us have known and has been available public knowledge for five years now, the president, the current president, goes through a list of men, women, and children on Tuesdays and picks whom to have murdered with missiles from drones. Is the new president going to do that? And is that going to be a problem now? And are we going to be able to build a bigger movement to resist it? Uh, you know, it is having a half dozen wars going at the same time around the world without congressional authorization or any fig leaf of legality. Is that going to be a problem now? And are we going to be able to resist it because it has this different face on it? And I, you know, I, I certainly hope so. Um, I would like for us to do so in a in a principled policy based manner but if we can do so in a you, you know as a matter of partisanship so be it uh anything we can do uh to end these wars uh is, is what i'm looking for and uh, trump is trump is both horrible and potentially good news in that regard and as you talk about financing of wars and ending of wars what effects do you think that in case that the wars are actually intensified, what further effects do you think they will have on domestic policy when it comes to social services, when it comes to issues such as the health care, I would say, pilot program that Obama uh, implemented, as well as the funding for other social safety nets? Well, you know, it's it's not just the wars, but the routine base military spending that is at least ten times the price of any wars, uh, and it is, uh, you know, higher in the Obama administration than any previous administration, and peaked around 2011 and has gone down very little since then, uh, and is roughly a trillion dollars a year, roughly the amount of the rest of the globe, allies and others combined, uh, is absolutely out of control. And, and the U.S. public has no idea what that level is, uh, but is in favor of reducing it. Uh, and in fact, the U.S. public, uh, in a poll commissioned by the Koch Institute, of all people, says that the wars of the past 15 years have made us less safe and should be ended, and we should have fewer of them, not more of them. But that same U.S. public buys into the fears of who are our greatest dangers, starting with ISIS and Russia and Iran on down, and you get down to 4% of our country says climate change is the biggest concern. I'm, I'm in that little 4%. Uh, Donald Trump is likely to exploit those fears, likely to heighten the paranoia about these foreign dangers and to increase those dangers through the counteractive, uh, counterproductive measure of, of escalating these wars. Uh, and those dollars 
are drained out of the U.S. economy, uh, despite all the military jobs we see. Uh, it, it's, it's a mirage. You, you get fewer jobs and worse-paying jobs with military spending than even with tax cuts for working people, much less investment in infrastructure and human needs and education. Uh, and, and so things are going to be cut. Uh, and part a separate part of Donald Trump's agenda, of course, is to cut useful spending, uh, to slash it left and right. Will he, as a businessman, audit the Pentagon for the first time in history and find out what it's spending money on? Uh, not without massive pressure to compel him to do so. Uh, but he will, he will cut other services. You know, health care... Uh, is something that he wants to cut as a matter of principle. Uh, but Obamacare was something that was going to keep seeing the prices go up uh, regardless. It was going to destroy itself. Now it's going to be destroyed more swiftly. Uh, but health care is not actually where we need more money. Uh, we just need to cut out the waste, uh, cut out the, the insurance companies and create single payer, which again we now know Hillary Clinton secretly recognizes is the only solution, uh, but wouldn't publicly even pretend to stand for. Uh, but th- these are these are the trade-offs now, and these are the trade-offs uh, when Trump is is president. Uh, more wars means less for anything else, and it means increasing the the weaponization and the militarization of local police, and it means saturating our culture with more racism and hatred and violence, which works its way from the wars to the domestic scene and the other way around. And given all of the frighteningly negative aspects of all of this, what indeed are the prospects for peace? What, what are some of the solutions? Well, I think coming around to recognize that backing off from a new Cold War with Russia or with China could be a good thing, uh, and you know that to be a good liberal or leftist does not mean denouncing all friendly, cooperative, law-abiding gestures toward Russia, uh, that would be a huge step. And this campaign has been, a, you know, has been a disastrous move in a dangerous direction in that regard. Uh, you know, if, if NATO can be backed off of Russia, uh, you know, and, and if putting this ugly, racist, sexist, bigoted face on the United States helps the rest of the world back away from support for U.S. wars, so much the better. You know, those dozens of nations around the globe that have big U.S. military and NATO military bases in them, if they can understand that those represent their subservience to the odious Donald Trump, you know, so much the better. Close them, shut them down, you know bring those troops home, uh, they're doing nothing but damage abroad, uh, shut down that expense, uh, you know, and, and, and make peace with the world. We're not, we're not going to see an, an internationalist here. We're not going to see, uh, you know, voluntary uh, signing on to treaties and, and the rule of law. But we may see pressure from the rest of the globe. Uh, the International Criminal Court is suggesting it may prosecute crimes in Afghanistan. It may indict a non-African for once. Uh, we, we may see the rest of the world begin to stand up. Germany is, is voting tomorrow in the Bundestag on whether to continue uh, engaging in U.S. wars. Uh, and it's a very different vote from what it would have been last week. Uh, you know, so there may be 
progress, and we may need to work globally as a community uh, to see it happen. So in other words, um, the world could benefit in a way through these sort of unintended consequences. Yeah, well, I, you know, I wouldn't have picked Donald Trump. I wouldn't have picked Hillary Clinton. Uh, both, ha- you know, both are disasters. But if there's any any silver lining in Donald Trump, uh, it, it, it's that we won't see the world delude itself as it did during eight years of Obama's war making that he was some sort of messenger of peace and justice. Uh, on the contrary, the world is is primed and ready to recognize. Uh, that that here we have uh, a dangerous individual, uh, but someone who might not exactly have the Hillary Clinton agenda of of humanitarian war after so-called humanitarian war. Um, so there there are openings, there are possibilities, but we have to make very clear and bring our pressure to Washington D.C. to say that we have had enough of the wars, uh, those little you know bits of of campaign where Donald Trump blurted out the truth that that overthrowing governments is disastrous, that NATO is is obsolete, and so forth. We need to play up those and demand follow through on those rather than on banning Muslims, building walls, and killing families. Well, on that note, David Swanson, I'd like to thank you very much for being with us tonight on Part of Mind Earth at Midnight. And please let our listeners know how they can follow your work. Well, my website is davidswanson.org, uh, and an organization I direct that I'd love for you to uh, go and sign our, our statement of peace that's been signed in over 130 countries uh, is World Beyond War at worldbeyondwar.org. Okay. Well, thank you for the interview. Uh, thank you very much. I appreciate it.